Hello and welcome to Driving Discussions. In this series, we discuss the forces that affect road fuels globally. Driving Discussions is brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity price information. We're now back from summer and it's about five months since the market started self-sanctioning from buying a Russian spot diesel cargos thus creating the so-called two-tier market. The diesel crack at this stage remains high. Uh, the backwardation has softened though and the market is somehow going through a, a calmer period, a more quiet uh, period while it starts looking towards 2023. But there is still that underlying uncertainty about the impact of the European sanctions once they take place uh, next year. My name is Alfonso Brocal, European Business Development Manager for Oil Products at Argus Media. And to help us to look at the uh, broader picture and the outlook for the diesel market, we have here with us today Francis Osborne. Head of Forecasting in Argus Consulting. Hi, Francis. How are you? Hi, Alfonso. Uh, very well, thank you. And uh, it's good to be with you today. Um, interesting times, indeed. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much, and welcome and welcome to this uh, to this podcast, Francis. Let's start taking the temperature to the European sanctions. Do you think that the appetite for sanctions on Russian oil? is weakening in Europe? I think it is creating considerable concern. I mean, you know, even before the crisis uh, flared up back in end of February, you know, not just Europe, but generally the global economy was facing some serious headwinds from inflation, the inevitable higher interest rates that come as well, uh, come with high inflation. And of course, the Ukrainian situation and the widespread sanctions on Russian commodities generally, and not just energy has boosted inflationary pressures even more. So uh, we're all concerned as as consumers, uh, as policymakers, about what lies ahead and the real serious possibility of an economic slowdown and who knows, hopefully not, but potentially also recession. Um, and it, it's kind of come rather late in the day to some policymakers that actually if you impose sanctions on Russia, which is a really key exporter of crude, uh, refined products, gas, coal uh, to the global market, uh, then you run the risk of shorting the market, uh, creating shortages, pushing prices up, and uh, you're just feeding this inflationary spiral. So we saw the US, for instance, uh, quite quickly push back when the EU announced their sanctions package. Um, the EU wanted to, for instance, impose a, a ban on the provision of maritime insurance for vessels carrying Russian oil. Uh, the the US pushed very firmly back on that. Uh, they've introduced uh, a notion to uh, include price caps, uh, basically saying that anyone can trade in Russian oil that as long as they don't pay more than a certain price, and that price is going to be low enough to ensure that Russia doesn't earn much money, if any, from it. That's a whole different discussion, but it's just an illustration that actually the US did 
wake up to this possibility of shortages and higher prices, didn't like it and tried to do something about it. Um, the EU will go ahead with sanctions. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt at all about that. It's too late to reverse that. So by the end of this year, they will stop. EU will stop buying Russian crude and by the end of February, uh, Russian product. But the idea of trying to stop those barrels, those tons trading to other nations in, in Asia, for instance, I think the, even the EU has lost uh, its enthusiasm to try and stop that. So the EU has basically, I think, now said we're going to play them, take the moral high ground. We're not going to trade with Russia. We're going to ban them from our market, uh, regardless of the impact, which we all know and we read about every day. Uh, but they will, I think, allow uh, probably crude more than products, but uh, Russian uh, oil to continue to trade to other regions of the world, principally Asia. The bottom line is that they really want to try and keep the market uh, well supplied. They would prefer Russia not to be earning serious revenues from the trade. I don't think there's much they can do about that. So in that regard, I think, yes, they have lost some of their appetite, but the EU itself will, I'm 99% certain, uh, continued to impose the sanctions package as envisaged. So vis-a-vis -vis, uh, diesel, February of next year, six to 700,000 barrels a day of Russian diesel, which normally flows to Europe, uh, will no longer flow. Uh, thanks, thanks, Francis. Uh, no, that's that's obviously very interesting, particularly probably for, for those companies who have the ability to trade out of Europe, those, those barrels. But if we focus then, on that 99% chances that 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 the the, the European Union uh, sanction uh, uh, Russian diesel into into Europe, who do you think it will replace the loss of uh, Russian diesel supply, and if it is actually replaceable at all? That's the $64,000 question, of course. Um, uh, and I think it's going to excite the market considerably uh, in the coming months. As I mentioned, we, Europe, that is, normally import six to 700,000 barrels a day of Russian diesel. It, it, it's it's um, critical to the uh, supply of the European market. Replacing it is not going to be easy. Well, let's start with a, a bold statistic. Out of that six or seven hundred thousand barrels a day of normal flow, self sanctions have probably reduced imports by probably no more than a hundred, maybe a hundred and fifty thousand BD. Those are spot volumes which used to be bought, uh, waterborne spot volumes. But broadly speaking, Russian diesel is still flowing into Europe on a more almost normal basis. Uh, and that is just the, sh uh, the the cold hard reality that actually Europe really can't do without Russian supply. So replacing it's going to be really very difficult. Um, it can come from a number of sources on paper. It can come from the US Gulf, uh, already a very significant um, exporter of, of product, but generally all the US Gulf material tends to flow to Latin America for obvious logistical reasons. And now, of course, we also have the US administration acutely concerned that actually inventory is very low in the US, particularly on the East Coast. And they're, they're worried. Uh, they, they, they 
are trying to encourage US refiners, if not to halt product exports, at least not to grow them. They're trying to persuade US refiners uh, to build more stock, but nobody really wants to build stock in a backwardated market. It's, It's crazy economics. So it's very hard to see how this is going to happen. Will there be an outright ban on US product exports? I doubt it. Unless, for instance, there was a very serious hurricane season, we lost or the US lost uh, refining capacity, product supply was constrained, then I think there might well be some kind of temporary halt to, to products exports. But anyway, the US on paper does remain a possible source. The Middle East is clearly an obvious source of uh, incremental diesel. There's the um, Jazan refinery in Saudi is in the process of starting. It's nowhere near uh, operational maximum operations. It's it's still in startup phase, but it is producing Eurospec diesel uh, and that is beginning to flow to Europe. So that's an incremental source. The uh, Alzor refinery in Kuwait similarly is potentially also a source of of diesel uh, in the coming months. It's uncertain quite where that unit is in in terms of commencing production, but we think it is pretty close to to actually start up. But these units do take time to hit their stride and the the availability may be relatively constrained. But nevertheless, if Europe offers decent enough, high enough prices, they will persuade uh, AG refiners uh, to export to Europe, potentially at the, the expense of the normal flows that they send into Africa and uh, to India and to, 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 to Asia. Looking further afield, uh, Northeast Asia and Asia generally is long middle distillates, it's long diesel, but it tends to be long because China is very long and China isn't actually allowing its uh, refining industry or its independent refining sector to to operate at a maximum or a high level of utilisation for for various reasons, which we won't go into now. Uh, The government has constrained the operations of the independents uh, and therefore product exports out of China have been very low. If that were to change, then there would be, I think, a a significant increase in Chinese exports, which would certainly release product from the Southeast Asian market generally, which would then eventually flow into the Atlantic Basin. You know, on, on paper, we can replace five, six to seven hundred thousand BD of, of Russian diesel. In practice, it's going to be logistically challenging uh, and it will only be achieved, I think, at, uh, at a high price. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you, Francis. So so it's clear that the barrels, they may be there, but Europe is going to have to compete for them at a, at a very high price. And looking at, at price and, and economics, uh, distillates, I mean, uh, diesel and, and jet, the, the, the prices are exceptionally high. At this stage, how, how will the price uh, of the distillates of the diesel will impact the European diesel demand? And you think the the this impact in Europe may be different in maybe different regions or, or it will be across Europe uh, it will have a same effect. Well, I I think before addressing that, well, the the other sort of important uh, angle to consider is that the 
situation regarding Russia is impacting diesel from a different direction, from another angle. Gas prices, we all know, uh, and we read every day, are reaching horrifying levels in Europe. You know, we flirted with $100 a million BTU. Those are, you know, we've never seen prices this high before. We, we Gas in Europe, spot gas, is trading at $500 a barrel oil equivalent and more. So we think in terms of high oil prices, uh, spare a thought for the gas market. These are crazy, crazy numbers. Uh, and it's not really surprising that um, consumers in, in, in Europe uh, and indeed elsewhere in the world uh, and we're talking here not really the, the, the poor old residential consumer. He, he probably, you know, residential gas users have no choice. They don't have fuel flexibility. Uh, they have to take it on the chin. But uh, manufacturers, industrial um, concerns, uh, power utilities to a very smaller extent, but mainly the, 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 the industrial consumers, they do have the ability to switch fuels. Uh, many of them already have that flexibility. Others in Europe, we know, are actively seeking to install that flexibility precisely to stop using incredibly expensive gas and to use something else. And, and the something else can be coal. It, it is in some cases. It's LPG in some cases, but overwhelmingly uh, it's diesel. Diesel to power on-site uh, power generation facilities and, and to help the, uh, the industrial consumer cope with this very high energy price environment. Uh, and this means more diesel demand uh, to be met. They sound paradoxical that uh, we're talking about uh, already trying to tr replace Russian supply at a very high price, and we're actually adding to that uh, requirement uh, by generating incremental diesel demand in Europe. We don't really have much visibility at the moment about what sort of volume we may be talking about. We do have some data for Germany. Germany is a very important economy, obviously, uh, and very important diesel market. Uh, and the, on the basis of some recent data, uh, we can identify uh, that German diesel demand uh, for these industrial consumers has probably increased uh, by anything up to 100,000 barrels a day. And I think globally, we're working to an estimate for incremental diesel demand of about three to 400,000 barrels a day. So this is unhelpful in a market which is already going to be incredibly, uh, incredibly tight. And it, it, it's just going to underpin I, what I can only think is going to be a, a very strong end to the year for, for diesel cracks and diesel prices generally. If we look at Northwest Europe, uh, and whatever I say for Northwest Europe is mirrored in terms of Asia, the US, uh, any other refining region. Well, diesel cracks, uh, the spread between crude and uh, diesel prices, uh, peaked at $60 a barrel in March. Uh, they fell to under $20 by end July. They're back, as you said, to a very high $45 or so. Will they rise higher by the end of the year? I think there's a very real risk. Um, we're not forecasting that necessarily at the moment. We think, uh, we assume, we forecast, whatever word you care to use, that cracks will end the year at around $40 a barrel. Uh, that's $145 a barrel in flat price, in outright price terms, or $1,080 a tonne, if you think in, in, in mass. But 
we have to accept that there is a real possibility uh, that prices could be sharply higher than that. Thankfully, at the moment, uh, the long range weather forecasts are, are fairly benign and suggest actually a, a warmer than average winter that will be very welcome uh, for consumers generally and for, for prices more widely. But uh, I'm afraid we're going to have a very uncomfortable winter ahead uh, in terms of uh, diesel price. This this potentially this potentially uh, uh, Francis I guess that it can translate into maybe maybe into uh, unfortunately maybe demand See, it, will, it may bring some demand destruction uh, along uh, uh, as, as as some some part of of Europe may may use actually diesel to to replace gas the switch to 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 diesel probably will increase the pressure. Um, I want to ask you to to conclude the uh, uh, the podcast. What is the outlook? What is the outlook for for uh, diesel prices in Europe? But probably, I, I just wonder if we if uh, you know obviously this is a forecast only. But if we can look a little bit ahead into into 2023 beyond the winter, you think the situation may normalize? I, I know it's a very difficult very um, difficult question, but you have any 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 views on that? Actually, it's it's worse than difficult. It's impossible. The, the the real answer to that is what happens in Central Europe, what happens with Russia, what happens with Ukraine. It's well beyond my competency uh, to try and anticipate uh, a conclusion to the uh, the Ukrainian situation. You can create any number of scenarios. And they're all rooted deeply in, in geopolitics. If If the Ukrainian crisis drags on and on, perhaps just eases to a, an attritional standoff, a stand uh, where nobody's winning, but nobody's really actually fighting a great deal. Perhaps we have a, an armed truce, so to speak. Then there's no end to this situation because it's impossible to think that the EU or the West generally will ease up on uh, Moscow and President Putin while that situation uh, exists. So therefore, we would continue to have to live uh, without Russian product, without Russian crude, uh, or at the very least, continue to trade in an extremely inefficient and expensive fashion. We were going to end up in that sort of situation, exporting crude to India, so to speak, for, for the Indian refiners to manufacture the diesel to ship it back to Europe. It, it's crazy. It's illogical. That's how markets will eventually end up working, um, because price signals will be high enough to allow it to work. On the other hand, perhaps there's a, a, a short res, short term resolution. Perhaps there's regime change in Moscow. Who knows? I, I've no idea at all, uh, in which case we could be at the opposite end of the spectrum. But I think um, on current evidence and current developments, we have to expect crude prices to remain strong next year, uh, and I think diesel prices uh, also. Um, certainly our forecasting at the moment does tend to suggest that the market should settle, uh, find a new normal for trading, uh, but it will be a high-priced uh, trading environment, uh, and we peg diesel cracks uh, very much towards the top end of a normal range, um, and that probably means prices uh, around 30 to 35 on, uh, uh, above crude. Okay, uh, thank you. Thank you, Francis. Uh, this is actually a, a great 
great insight to a very very difficult very difficult question uh, we will keep an eye on the uh, monthly on the monthly uh, crude and products uh, outlooks and thank you very much for being with us here today a great pleasure my pleasure uh, thank you and uh, and if you enjoy this podcast please be sure to tune in the uh, other episodes in our series driving discussions and for more information on Argus Global Refined Products coverage, please uh, visit uh, argusmedia.com slash oil products and stay safe and see you next time. Mm-hmm.